Well, the title of our sermon this morning is Boldly Proclaiming the Gospel out of Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 31. And, <clears throat> and before we, we dive into the text, there's a lot of different things that come forth out of the text. And one of the, the, the primary things that we're going to find is we're going to see God's people, particularly Peter and John, boldly proclaiming the gospel in the midst of incredible adversity and persecution and trials. Um, we live in a time in which those things are here today as well. In the, the country that we live in, and exponentially greater in, in different parts of, of the world where persecution exists. We can look throughout history and, and see periods of time in which it would have been very, very difficult to proclaim the gospel. One of those times would have been living during the time of the Soviet Union. You have there within the, the Soviet Union an objective of eliminating religion and replacing it with atheism. The, the communist regime confiscated religious property and they, they would ridicule any kind of religion. They would harass believers. They would force atheism to be in schools. Um, from that period shortly after World War II, Baptists, Pentecostals, others um, would be sent to mental hospitals or tried or imprisoned, thought that, that, that they were mentally unstable if they were believers. Parents would be pulled from their kids and they would be, their, their parental rights would be taken away if they were proclaiming the gospel to their kids. Look at, at, at times in some of the Eastern Bloc countries like Romania where people were imprisoned and and tortured in those times. There was, a, there was a pastor that lived in this area up until the early 1990s when he passed away, a man by the name of Richard Wormbrandt, who was the one who founded um, Voice of the Martyrs. And, and he was someone who was a pastor in Romania, lived there, and was imprisoned for proclaiming the gospel, for preaching the gospel. He, he talked about the, the torture that, that took place, where he had scars to, to show from it for the entirety of his life. He, he talked about having the soles of his feet beaten until the flesh was torn off, and, and how the next day they would beat it again all the way to the bone. He said that, that, that there were not words to describe his pain. He, he talked about how the torture was. Um, from 5 a.m. in the morning until 10 in the evening, 17 hours a day, he would just sit and, and look straight forward. Um, he wasn't allowed to lean. He, he could not rest um, or even tilt his head a little bit. To close his eyes was a crime. Sit like this. And he would hear the entire time 
Communism is good. 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 Christianity is stupid. Christianity is stupid. Christianity is stupid. Nobody believes in Christ. Nobody anymore believes in Christ. Give up, give up, give up. For days, weeks, and years, he had to listen to those things. 17 hours a day. Unable to close his eyes. He got out of prison. And a short time later, he was put back in there once again for proclaiming the gospel. Eventually, his freedom was purchased um, by a Scandinavian country for $7,000, when typically it would have been just hundreds of dollars. But he was able to leave and, and came to the United States and made it something where it was his desire in life to minister to the persecuted church. Christians that suffered in incredible ways. We, we have a pastor here in our church, Pastor Eduardo Hernandez, in the very back corner, who turned 98 years old this weekend. And uh, pastor, pastor Hernandez was a Presbyterian pastor for most of his life and served under the dictator Fidel Castro in Cuba as a pastor. Eventually was able to, to be released and, and, or made it to the United States and pastored here, translated the Bible, uh, chief editor of a major Spanish study Bible. Um, and, uh, and continued to translate Scripture into modern Spanish until he was 89 years old. But he, he knows what it is to be in a place like Cuba who adhered to all that the Soviet Union demanded upon them. Thankful to, to have you at our church, Pastor Hernandez. You think of Christians in other areas like China where proselytizing is only permitted in private settings, or within a, a registered church. And it's impossible as far as by law to proselytize in public in unregistered churches or, or for foreigners, for us to go there and to proclaim the gospel. Not only that, but members of the Communist Party are strongly encouraged to not have any kind of religious faith at all. Within Muslim countries, there's more than 20 Muslim countries in which to be a Muslim and convert to Christianity is a crime. Many of those countries, it's a capital offense to do such a thing. And, and, and you would think that, that it would be by far the, the minority of, of, of people that would, Muslims that would desire Sharia law, but it's not. It's a huge number of people. Even in more Western countries like, like England, in, in 2007, the, there was a poll that was taken that out of the British Muslims, still 31% believe that if you left the Muslim religion, it should be punishable by death. And so we live in, in, in a time in which, in countries like those countries, the idea of proclaiming the gospel is either against the law 
punishable by, by prison, punishable by death, punishable by, by being whipped or tortured in other ways. And you could go through history and you could find all throughout history such things taking place. And we find it here in Acts chapter 4. We, we live in a time in which the idea of, of trying to convert people to your religion or sharing the gospel is, is just frowned upon within our culture. You, you may not ever be placed in prison, but you could very well lose your job. You may not be placed in prison, but it, it, it is absolutely not to take place within the, the school system or even frowned upon within parts of the military. We, we find that there is more and more difficulties that come our way and, and reasons not to be bold in the proclamation of the gospel. And so the text before us matters to us. To be able to look and to see what God was doing in this early church, you, you have to remember that it is a very short time before Acts chapter 4 in which Christ was crucified and put to death. The Christians were there and they, they saw the risen Christ. The Lord is working in a miraculous way of bringing hundreds and even now thousands and thousands of people to faith in Christ. And so we find that, that in Acts chapter 4, this has just occurred where a man has been healed that was lame from his earliest of ages and, and now is over 40 years old. And he begins walking and leaping and praising God as we saw in Acts chapter 3. Acts 4, in verse, in verse 4, it says, Many of those who were, heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. We see just a radical work being done. This is just the men that have come to know Christ, not counting women and children. Over 5,000 men coming to know Christ. And so the persecution begins towards the early church, and we come this morning as we continue our study in the, in the book of Acts to verse 13, where it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They saw boldness that was there, boldness in Peter and John. And they knew that... These weren't people that had gone through the same schools. They weren't educated in the same way. You can read from what John wrote and what Peter wrote that these were not people who were unintelligent, incredibly intelligent as you read through and you read the gospel and you read the epistles of Peter and you, you hear all that they, that they did. But they were not schooled in the same way as those that were the religious leaders of that time. And yet there was this incredible boldness that they had. The boldness that they had came from the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Because if you think of Peter, was he bold at all in the time of Christ? No, he, he denied Christ three times. 
just a short time before this. The boldness came in the Holy Spirit doing a work in their heart, but not only that, the boldness came in their confidence that the gospel was true, that Christ had risen again from the dead, and that there was only one way in which man could be saved, and that is through faith in Christ. They had a love for the lost, and they didn't care. They went proclaiming the gospel at every opportunity that people might come to know their Savior. In verse 14, it says, And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. They saw this man that was standing. Now notice that it says that he was standing. The man that was once laying there by the gates there, that had been unable to walk for over 40 years, is now standing there with them. And so the religious leaders are saying, the government leaders that are in this area, the Sanhedrin, they're looking and saying, we see this man, and, and he's standing there with Peter and John. And so we can't say anything against it. Everybody's amazed that this man was walking and leaping and praising God. They all knew in the entire land, they knew that this was the man that stood by the gate that was there and was crippled for the entirety of his life. In verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to go out, aside to go outside out of the council they conferred among themselves so they commanded peter and john and the others to go outside and they said what shall we do to these men for indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in jerusalem and we cannot deny it what do we do to them We can't deny that something radical has occurred in that this man is walking and leaping and praising God. Everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But what do we do? Verse 17, it says, But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And so those that are in authority say, we got to make it so this doesn't spread any further. I mean, at this point, based on the numbers of what we see at the, in, the, in, in the upper room and all that have come to know Christ, it, it, it's thought that, that, that we're nearing around the numbers of, of 20,000 believers that are there in Jerusalem. And so they're watching and they're thinking, we, we, we thought that we got rid of this problem when we crucified Christ. But now his disciples are going out and they're proclaiming the same message. Not only that, but they're healing people and people are walking and leaping and praising God. And it is spreading like wildfire as far as like people are believing all over the place. What do we do? What shall we do to these men? We got to make it so it spreads no further. Think of the hardness of heart. In these people. You hear people sometimes say, if, 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 I, if God would just show me signs and wonders, I'd believe. That's not the case. The way sin works, the depth of our depravity is such that there are not people just itching to find God, trying their hardest, but just they need to see something. It, it, it doesn't matter whether they know that Christ indeed has risen. It doesn't matter if, if they're able to make someone's ankles become 
whole again and legs be strengthened and them standing up and walking and leaping and praising God. It doesn't matter if they see someone be raised from the dead or made able to see who was always blind or made able to, to hear or to see a withered hand restored. It, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if fish and loaves are multiplied. There is a hardness of heart that in these people's minds, it's this is wrecking everything for us. I don't want to follow Christ. I don't want to go after him. How do we keep this from going any further? We can't deny any, that, that, that this didn't happen. We, we can't say anything because this guy's standing with them. So let us severely threaten them. And so you can imagine this taking place. What occurred may have been something along the lines of, you saw what we did to Christ. The same thing can happen to you. We can have you stoned. We can have you put to death at any time we can do these things. So they decide to severely threaten them that from now on they shall speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. What an awesome, awesome response. Whether, whether or not it's right for you, you, you judge for us. We cannot stop. We're not going to stop. There is a passion in them to boldly proclaim the gospel. We, we know that for us as believers, we're taught in Scripture that we are to submit to government authorities. Romans 13, verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Or in, in 1 Peter 2.17, Peter says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We're, we're told that as Christians. We, we are to be those that are willing to submit to governing authorities. Recognizing that God appointed these people. But in this particular case, it's made very clear that there is a time for civil disobedience. There is a time in which we as believers are not to do what the government says. If the government ever tells us to do something that goes against what Scripture commands us, what God commands us, we are absolutely to rebel. Absolutely. And so you see that here where what's being said is you are commanded not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. From now on, don't ever, ever speak, preach, do not do anything, speak in the name of Jesus. Peter and John just say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. But for us, we cannot but speak the things which have been seen and heard. We can't help but to proclaim the gospel. We can't help but to, to boldly 
preach Christ and Him crucified. In Acts chapter 5, we'll look at that in a few weeks. In verse 40, it says that they called for the apostles and they beat them and commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. So it's going to escalate as we get into the next chapter. They, They bring him in, they beat them and say, don't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. And it says, so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus. It gets worse. They get beaten. And the response of the people is, we have so much joy that we have been counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. What a way of thinking. Their love for Christ, their love for their Savior, their love that that, that God has rescued them from the depths of their sin and brought them to eternal life in Christ and through faith in Him, has brought them to a place of, they just beat us. You guys, we got to suffer for the name of Christ. We suffered for Him. We were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Think of reasons why you do not boldly proclaim the gospel. If that's the case. More than likely it's not because you've been recently beaten for it. More than likely the soles of your feet, like Richard Wormbrand, have not been beaten until the flesh has all been exposed and the next day down to the bone. More than likely, you haven't spent time in prison like what's occurred to countless people in places like China or Vietnam or other countries like that. Think of what it is that makes us afraid to share the gospel. And then look at the way in which these apostles respond. We were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. There were Christians, without a doubt, in the Soviet Union, Proclaiming the gospel. Underground churches throughout the land that worked in incredible ways in proclaiming the gospel. Vietnam, still a country today in which you're not allowed to evangelize. House churches are forbidden. I I sit with these pastors when I go there and teach them for hours and hours and hours at a time. Think of the amount of time that we spend in here. And, and I, I would start at like 8 in the morning with them, go all day long, except for like our little nap that we were forced to take. They, they, all day long into the late evening 
And then to have them at the end of the day say, can we start earlier tomorrow and go longer? Getting at the end of, of a week with these people thinking, I think I've told you everything I know. If my voice is gone, I have not stopped talking. And they're just so hungry for the word. And then getting word back that just the last time I went, right after I left, some of them were imprisoned. And yet, they go on boldly proclaiming the gospel. I have just vivid pictures in my mind of Christians suffering around the world. Thinking of of a church in Pakistan where they met outside in just incredible heat in Lahore, Pakistan. And preaching and just looking at their faces, they all just stood there. I mean, a place like this filled with like thousands of people, shoulder to shoulder. Somehow all the guys are on one side and all the girls are on the other side. And they said, don't look at the girls. But preaching in a setting like that and talking with them afterwards and just, we're the street cleaners. It's almost impossible for us to get jobs because we have to put what religion we are on our card. And if you're a Christian here, you can't go eat in their restaurants. If we do, they'll break the plates in front of us saying that Christians can't eat on their plates. We, we will be in prison for, for evangelizing. There's people who are, were Muslims that have become Christians and they have to move away from where they lived so they can live in another area. And they are able to go and they, 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 they risk their lives going from house to house proclaiming the gospel with whoever they possibly could preach to. But this is today. This is right now. And yet we see within the early church, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Regardless of what you do to us, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In verse 21, it says, So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So here Peter and John leave and they go back to their companions, the church. They just threatened us. This is what they said. This is what we said in response. So when the church heard this, verse 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Notice how they begin the prayer. It would be like a couple of us being told by the government, you're not allowed to ever preach the gospel again. Don't ever speak in his name. We come back and we tell you this is what the government said. And everybody together just says, let's pray. Let's just pray. And how do they begin their prayer? They begin their prayer, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They begin by the greatness of the God in whom they serve. Whether you beat the bottom of our feet, whether you imprison us, or whether we are executed, 
You, you Lord, are, are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. This prayer of, that, that, that's, that's preached here, that's proclaimed here, that's recorded here in Acts, we find it in Isaiah 37 and verse 16 where it says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, all of the kings of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. We find that, that this takes place. It's a petition. The petition Hezekiah said when the Assyrian army was surrounding Jerusalem. And it closes in verse 20. It says, Now therefore, O Lord, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord, you alone. You do this work. You are God. You alone. We trust you. And so they begin by praying. They go from there to Acts 4.25 saying, Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Turn with me for a moment to Psalm 2. We find that this is the psalm that's being quoted here in this prayer amongst the Christians. Psalm 2. This is how the church responds. This is how they pray. Psalm 2 begins by saying, Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Same as we see in Acts 4. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. The Messianic Psalm, looking to Christ, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with the rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. And when the wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. What an awesome, awesome psalm to come to the memory of this group of believers here. And they're looking at at this particular psalm saying, this is all talking about Christ. Every part of the psalm is talking about Christ. Kiss the son. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. The nations may rage against us. The people may plot a vain thing. But he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Not laughing in the sense of ha-ha, but laughing in the sense of he is more powerful than them all. He is the sovereign God of the universe. You don't need to fear when God has told us that he will never leave us or forsake us. When he tells us he'll give us the words to speak in those times. 
when he tells us to go amongst the nations and to preach the gospel, making disciples. When he tells us that he gives us the Holy Spirit and he will be our enabler, there is no reason to fear. Trust the Lord. In Acts 4.26, it says, The kings of the earth took their stand. If you turn back with me to Acts 4. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. This is their prayer. And then as you look, it goes right in alignment with Psalm 2. But who's the holy servant? Jesus. Who's the anointed one? Christ. Who is the enemy in this case? Herod and Pontius Pilate. With the Gentiles and all the people of Israel. And what are they doing? Whatever your hand, God, and your purpose, Lord, determined before to be done. When they pray... When they're thinking of what the government has told them as far as do not preach in Christ's name anymore, their minds go to who he is, and from there to Psalm 2, the Messianic Psalm, and from there they're saying, you you determined all of these things to take place. Every bit of their hope and every bit of their mind goes to the sovereignty of God, and so must ours. So must ours. To be at a place of, of, I trust him. Even if they slay me, or even if by God's providential hand you're slain, yet I'll trust. I will trust. I'll boldly proclaim the gospel because you are a God who's in control of all things. Even your crucifixion and all that they did, all the evil things that they did and putting Christ to the cross, what they were doing was whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. He was sovereign over all of it. In verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Do you hear it again? With all boldness. Now, Lord, look on their threats. This is what they've said. And grant to your servants, grant us, grant us here today that with all boldness we may speak your word. May we speak his word with boldness. By stretching out your hand to heal, And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Work miraculously. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They prayed. Boldness. They've commanded these things against us. They've given us their threats. Lord, grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. And when they finish praying, the entire place starts to shake. And they were all filled 
with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. God answered the prayer, and he answered it immediately. There was boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. They prayed to the sovereign God of this universe, and he shook the place in which they gathered, and they all had boldness as the Holy Spirit filled them. Is that possible today? Yeah, I believe it is. You don't have your, your feet beaten until the flesh is exposed and then the next day have them take it down to the bone. And then immediately when you're released, go back and start proclaiming the gospel again. Unless the sovereign God of the universe gives you the strength to do it. And for Richard Wormbrandt, who was placed underneath the palace of Ceausescu in Romania for years and years and years in solitary confinement, looking straight ahead, hearing those words 17 hours a day. It is an absolute work of the Holy Spirit in his sovereign hand when Richard Rohrbrandt goes back there in 1990 after Ceausescu has been killed as they stormed the capital. And the new mayor of Bucharest says, after Richard Rohrbrandt has opened up printing presses in Romania to have the gospel go forward from there and bookstores, says, take all of your extra books and store them here underneath Ceausescu's palace where you were once imprisoned until they go forward again. And they did. He stored his books in the same place in which he was imprisoned, and they just went out. I went to Romania in the early 1990s, and you could go on any street corner and start proclaiming the gospel, and you would have hundreds of people there within seconds. We saw God do just a mighty, mighty work as he was bringing people to know Christ there all over the place. They were starving for the gospel, and God worked miraculously in their hearts during those years. And still to this day, you question God's sovereignty, he can shake the house. Question his sovereignty, he can make Christian books and Bibles be stored where once Richard Wormbrandt was imprisoned. God can make house churches spring up all over China all over Vietnam. He can give Christians incredible boldness to proclaim the gospel in places like Pakistan or Indonesia or throughout much of the Middle East. He can use what's taken place in, in terrorism and all that occurred in 9-11. And as I had mentioned a couple months ago, there is a great, great awakening that's taking place in places like Iran right now. As people are coming to know Christ in the aftermath of what took place on September 11th. The young people. God is doing a radical work in their hearts. God is accomplishing his purposes, and he will. May we be a part of it and boldly, boldly proclaim the gospel with a love for the lost 
and with great confidence in the power of the Holy Spirit, may we go forth from this place and have boldness in the proclamation of the gospel. And if we're told not to, may we, like those disciples, say, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning, Lord. We thank you for the great confidence that you gave the early church to proclaim the gospel, and we see it go from Jerusalem to Judea, even to the uttermost parts of the world, to where we are today in the United States. Lovers of Christ, believers in the gospel, placing all of our hope that when you, Christ, died on the cross, our sins were placed upon you and you gave us your righteousness. And it only comes by faith in the God of this universe that gave us his son. We praise you for that. Give us boldness as we proclaim the good news. And may we see you, Lord, not us, you, Lord, do a mighty work in bringing your people to salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.